0: it's like a soundboard that we have but it doesn't work yeah we should be live here we're live what's going on d-bags hope you guys are doing well we're back here again with another episode of the detox podcast i'm your host darren rita feel free to connect with me at any of the links down below if you're new here and you enjoy music podcasts comedy or hooping videos do consider subscribing we've got a whole lot of that going on around here when you do subscribe leave a like or comment in the live chat like you're going to do today helps us share conversations and laughs like we're going to have tonight with more people so do consider doing that and and We actually just hit eligibility for Super chats, So if there's anything you really, really want to get off your chest or you want to just show some support, some love to the show, but you don't want to maybe commit to the Patreon, you're not ready to do that yet, you can send a Super Chat, help support the channel. Um, There should be a button somewhere on the screen or below us now. So that's pretty cool. Uh, We just got that. And before I can get into um, an even cooler thing, which is my guest this week, I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about your grooming because you're messing it up. We've all been there. I know what it's like. It's date night. Maybe you waited a couple of extra weeks, trim the hedges down below. And now the cutesy little garden you had is kind of a sprawling rainforest of sorts, wet, sweaty. It's not fun. It's not a good look on you. You need to, you need to clean it up. So what do you do? You, you reach for that cheap razor. Maybe you got four or five years ago from Walmart, 10, 15 bucks, and you start going to town. You realize very quickly that's a dangerous game. Okay. And, uh, your, your most prized jewels are at risk. You don't got to do that anymore. You got to go nuts. Go Nuts right here is a revolutionary, new, first of its kind, patented designed razor um, and grooming product that's unlike anything else in the market right now. So quit playing yourself with these other products that swear they're going to protect you and that they're going to get you different results when they they don't. They use the same tech and they give you the same cuts and nicks. So get yours today at uh, thegonuts.com. Um, it's on the screen right now. You can use code Rita47, uh, save some money, help support the channel, um yeah go to thegonuts.com get your grooming done right it's time to uh to get it right and go nuts so with all that good stuff out of the way i am excited to be talking to my guest here this week i met him recently and uh he caught my attention so i decided we got to have him on the show he's got to spit some knowledge and explain some things to me because there's some stuff you don't know that's going on here in wisconsin where we shoot the show um, at least now. If you're seeing this in the future and I'm, I'm somewhere cooler, that, that'd be awesome. But as of right now, I'm shooting the show in Wisconsin. There's stuff going on that you need to know about. Um, he is a site planner and a landscape architect. He's also been teaching a class over at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Let's give a wet detox. Welcome to Tom Mortensen. He's here in the building. We used to have that that clap track as oh, well. Yeah. It was all part of the soundboard. I bet but that really not, added to the it, ambience. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was exciting. But hey man, how are you? I'm doing well. Dude, awesome, awesome. I appreciate you being here, man. Um I was I mentioned that we just recently met. I met yep. you at the bar, I was making some jokes about cheese and mm-hmm. found out you don't eat cheese. I I can. You and can. I occasionally do. Yes. But I really
1: cut it out of my diet.
0: And and the reason for that is kind of what sparked this uh, this having you on the show. Yeah, it was really just an organic conversation we started having, and
1: people always ask me, "Well, why you know you're in Wisconsin? Why don't why don't you eat cheese?" I'm like, "Well, I can, and I, I have enjoyed cheese throughout my life, but when you start to realize what it takes to make cheese, yeah, and what has happened to the industry in the last thirty years, it's it's pretty jaw dropping. Yeah, and um, you know. Being a landscape architect, I do have an environmental bend, you know, on, on, you know, my background and and how I feel about things. But the more I learned, the more shocked I became about, you know, industrialized agribusiness, um, the expansion of it, the uh, subsidization of it. I mean, it's highly subsidized. Yeah. um, And what it's doing to our water and our environment in Wisconsin.
0: So that's what, yeah, that's what I want to get to is is sort of what is... What are the issues, I guess, that Wisconsin is, like, facing right now with our water supply, maybe with when it comes to the dairy farming and whatnot? What, is, what are the issues that have, have kind of led you into being like, okay, I'm not going to partake in, in supporting this right now?
1: It really started back in the 90s. I had a friend who uh, I used to bow hunt with, and we he had some property up in, in Washera County, and, and all the lakes were drying up in the streams, and they were over-pumping high-capacity wells to grow crops for these, what they called CAFOs, and a CAFO is a concentrated animal feeding operation. Hmm. Um, back in the early 90s, Wisconsin had 50 KFOS, and a CAFO is 1,000 animal units or more. Wow. So 1,000 chickens, hogs, whatever, on one site yeah. or more and that's what classifies a KFO. I don't know why 999 doesn't yeah yeah but um so I started like realizing like what's going on here and so back in the early 90s we had 50 KFOs in Wisconsin we now have over 300.
0: Jesus. 300
1: dude. KFOs of of these factory farms
0: if you that, do the quick math on that you know that's 300 times a 1,000. thats We're talking a lot of animals. And
1: most of them are well over a 1,000 animal units. Some yeah. of them have 20,000. There's
0: no other threshold of like once it's over 2,000, it's a mega KFO. No. No, it's just.
1: No, but China no. has figured out a way to build a 26-story skyscraper hog farm. Really? Oh, yeah. That's sad. 26 stories of hog KFO, and they never see the light of day. Now, I'm not oh here to talk God. about animal wearf- welfare or anything like that. There, yeah. There's a whole other side to it. I think when you really start looking at water and the impacts on our environment, what's happened here um, in the United States, not just Wisconsin, 23% of of our pork in the United States goes to China. Really? And that's mostly in Iowa and North Carolina. Maybe eating hog- bacon like that over there. Yeah, I don't know what it is, man. It's it must be a lot of stir fry, some okay, really yeah. really good skewered, you know, whatever. But they're into it. And and, and again, like I'm not anti.
0: I, I eat pork. Yeah, yeah. I we eat. got the meats over here. They want some of that. Yeah, but okay. you know,
1: so they're building a 26-story hog CAFO that will slaughter over a million cows a year well. and, and 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 hogs. Yeah, that's not yeah, It's just kind of a weird thing when you start to get your head wrapped around that. So going back to the 90s, I saw a lot of stuff happening with our environment. My friend got me into it. He said, are you aware of this? I had no idea. And then um, it's really easy to find good information. Yeah. And uh, you start to see what happened with our regulations You know that, that came out when KFO started back in the 90s. And, and our government was promoting them. And, and I think the message was get big or get out. Mm-hmm. And now what you're seeing is, you know, all these news stories about the family farm dying. Yeah. You know, it's dead, it's gone. Was um, it
0: was it fully necessary? Like did the did the government like were they like, "Oh, we need like it's so necessary for us to have this much more dairy products or this much more like were were we like running out of food? Were we running out of of dairy products?" I don't think we were.
1: No, they'll they'll tell you that we have to feed the world. But a lot of our milk is turns into powder. And it's shipped around the world, so it's not supply and demand. It's not capitalism. I call it crapitalism. Mm. Um, It's it's over over oversupply and under demand, and um, you know we're overproducing a lot of these products. And and so no, there was like when I was growing up in the '70s, I don't ever remember my mom coming home from the store and saying, "Oh my God, we're out of milk. Yeah, I can't find any milk." And that was when it was all family farms. Now, granted, the population has expanded. Yeah. But when you start to think about the expansion of these industrial farms, it's really not even agriculture anymore. There's no culture in it. Yeah. It's agribusiness. Um, and this, this just happened very rapidly. And so when I was talking about the regulations, you know, you'll hear people from the dairy industry say, Well, we're highly regulated. We have a lot of rules, we have to go through jump through a lot of hoops, we've got a lot of, you know, laws to follow, a lot of paperwork. It's really not that much it's it's it, it was like when these these regulations were written back in the 90s there they haven't been re, recalibrated yeah for the expansion that happened in the 30 years and now we're going whoa what happened
0: well even like how I mentioned kind of jokingly like there isn't another threshold for like a, a super CAFO it's a great question you know like how is it just one thousand? anything over 1,000 mm-hmm. like the difference between 1,000 and 5,000 is you know exponential yeah How is it all going to follow the same rules and regulations that seems a little ridiculous yeah
1: i mean they're well they're well organized they're well lobbied yeah um it's a very powerful industry in wisconsin it's a lot of money yeah you know and so where there's money to be made there are truths not to be told Mm. you know and i think what's happened though is that everything has just gotten so mega and they figured out a way to call it efficiency. They, they call it, you know, that, that they, they want to make profit, right? They wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't profitable. Yeah. But what the average Wisconsinite or American doesn't really understand is what that's doing to our water. Mm. And that's where, uh, you know, for me, a light bulb went off. And I said, so I work for an engineering firm. We deal with stormwater. You hear about combined sewer overflows with MMSD, you know, all these things that are happening in the urban environment, right, to our water quality. And at the same time, these operations they don't have to have a wastewater treatment plant Um, they produce I think the average manure lagoon holds about 82 million gallons of raw manure
0: lagoon that's a scary Mm -hmm. term Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah they're big giant cesspools Um, you can just go look at an aerial photo of Kewanee County and you Uh. will see rectangles everywhere brown rectangles and that is liquefied manure that then they call it's it's like they come up with a nutrient management plan. Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah, yeah. Nutrient management plan. It's beautiful in a way. Instead yeah. of cow shit. Yeah. Um, but then they spray it on fields and they inject it into soils and. For
0: what re- for, do they think it's going to work as fertilizer? What are they? Oh th- yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: I have a picture that I could show you that'd blow your mind outside of Elkhart Lake where they're blowing it through irrigation pipes, into the air. Oh, that's great. And they're spraying it. And that was their way of managing their nutrients.
0: And doesn't, and maybe I'm 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 wrong on this. And, and if you don't know, that's fine too. But I, I thought Wisconsin already we have like multiple counties that have very low air quality because of some, not necessarily specifically this issue, but we have like several counties that have less than average air quality in Wisconsin in Wisconsin, like Milwaukee, uh, I believe, even Kenosha, Walworth, like all these counties have less than typical air quality so i can't imagine doing something like that is going to help no i mean and
1: and most of this is in rural you know rural communities and
0: you know they got to go somewhere with this stuff
1: so i mean you know i'm not here to bash the dairy industry yeah i'm just here to create awareness around how it has expanded and what impact that has had on our environment and our water because when i when i talk about it people like i had no idea yeah. I had no idea. And and again, I'm not anti-dairy. I mean, I can eat cheese, you know, my yeah, family yeah. eats cheese or you know, ice cream whatever. Cheese is I'm in my veins, to, man. There you go. That's, I love yeah, cheese cool. curds, mac and cheese, that's whatever. That's absolutely yeah. cool. It's just you should be aware of where your food comes from yeah. and how it's being produced. And they want to do it cheaply and, and efficiently and they want to make a lot of it. Yeah. And um, here, here's a here's a great example. The state of Montana just p- recently passed a law that the shelf life of their milk is only 12 days and the reason they say that is because they want to make sure all everyone in montana has fresh milk well what's they're dumping it yeah i don't know if you read about mmsd about three weeks ago but they were taking on like six seven thousand gallons of dumped milk into jones island because you're dumping milk they, it's, no it's not one's being bu- bought. No yeah. one's buying it. We're drinking a lot less milk now than we were 25 years ago.
0: Yeah. So are they just is it is it just an artificial way for them to have, make more sales where it's like, "Oh, we're going to put this extra milk in these stores and so that we have to it like justifies the means of keeping up with it and that's, keep expanding?"
1: That's what the reporter that, you know, reported on it said. Like, this is just kind of a farce because milk lasts a lot longer on the shelf than 12 days. Yeah. And um, they're just overproducing it. Again, it's not supply and demand. It's not capitalism. Yeah. It's, it's overproduction and under, you know, under demand. And so, you know, they got to go somewhere with it, right? So that was their twist on it is like, we want everyone to have fresh milk. Yeah. Well, you can still have fresh milk after 20 days. Yeah. You know, um, it's just th- a lot less people are drinking milk now.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's become more people I think more people have uh, become conscious of the fact that like we're not uh, I mean we are not cows so it's like we're everybody is a little lactose intolerant like it's just like how much can you take Mm -hmm. you know and I've even joked with people on the podcast before that it's like how much are you willing to take for the enjoyment of cheese? cuz I love cheese right Mm -hmm. and it's like I think we've become more conscious as a society of like Yeah, it's not worth it. Like, I'm only going to eat cheese, a big thing of cheese, maybe, like, at lunch. And I'm not going to eat it before bed. I know me personally, if I eat a pizza past, like, 8 Mm p.m., I will not be able to – I will, like, get, like, almost meat sweats in my sleep Sure. because I can't digest it. It's Mm -hmm. just not right. And so I think, like, we've become more conscious with that. So it would make sense that we're not consuming as much as we were before. Mm -hmm. But what doesn't make sense is why we're beefing up production and they're not having to follow – it's interesting you mentioned that with the CAFOs and them only they don't even have to have wastewater management things on site
1: yeah no, no treatment plants. no
0: treatment plants on site but right? every
1: a small city like Sun Prairie or any other you know um, twin lake from well, you've got to have a wastewater well. treatment plant um, yeah and I think that's another thing that's happened is that this has expanded so quickly and so you know so it's just robust yeah and 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 yet the regulations have not recalibrated to keep up with you know what is really happening with the amount of manure and so I always say when I've given this lecture or I've talk, you know talked about it is the elephant in the room here is that there's just way too much manure mm-hmm. for the Wisconsin landscape to handle. when they have to haul it two to three counties away to spread it yeah um, I mean just manure management for these companies has just got to be staggering yeah because they're producing more and more of it and they have nowhere to go with it and you can't store this stuff. I mean yeah. you can for a while but i mean it turns into a really interesting science project
0: yeah yeah you know well, what is well that's what too like so when they're having to spread this stuff when they're kind of just like dumping it getting rid of it what is that then going to do for maybe the average wisconsinite who is just trying to enjoy our lakes or enjoy and does enjoy our water here in the midwest in wisconsin specifically um i because how is that affecting our water supply, because I'm sure it is.
1: It is. And and it's very specific in certain regions. So, did you know that 38% of the people in Kewanee County can't drink their water? No. 38% of I the people. I thought that this You g- think that would make national news, right? Yeah. No. Nope. They can't drink their water because it's contaminated with E. coli, with nitrates, with, um, you know, you name it. Yeah. But you should see it, what comes out of the tap it's and in some of the households. brita has got to be doing.
0: <laughs> Got to be killing out there, man.
1: Well, also, you know, I mean, the DNR has supplied them with drinking water, bottled water, you know. And so. that's
0: another form of – I mean, that's, again, drinking bottled water is not the greatest thing el- ever also, mm-hmm. you know, for waste well, and Well, it's certainly
1: not a sustainable answer. Yeah. It's not going to – you can't do that forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's other parts of the state, uh, St. Croix County, Crawford County, uh, the Central Sands region where I own land. Yeah. It's all sand. And then also what they call karst geology. So that is part of Kewanee County. And that all goes down to like the southwestern part of the state. And what that means is there's very shallow topsoil and very shallow bedrock. Hmm. And so as water percolates through that topsoil, it gets into a fissure or a crack or a, you know, underground stream and goes directly into our groundwater supply. So in those areas of very, very shallow topsoil, um, the the nutrients again yeah. I'll use that word yeah um, get into the groundwater very rapidly mm. and so the DNR recently was like well we'll just we'll just tell you that you can only put on so much at a certain time of the year but it's it's really kicking a can down the road yeah you know and, instead of saying you know maybe we're just making too much manure and, and again, you know, I mean, we're drinking less milk, yes, but, you know, cheese, uh, people love their cheese, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and, you know, I totally get that. Yeah. I, I'm not anti-cheese. I'm, yeah, I'm just yeah. like, you know, why are we making so much of it yeah. when we don't need it? That's the big kind of elephant yeah. in the room.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially when it's, you know, if, it's, if we're making so much to the point where stuff is going bad and then we're going to destroy our land and our water for it, and the answer is going to be like you said, kicking the can down the road. Like, let's just put it off till next week. Let's put it off mm-hmm. three years from now.
1: Well, what happens now is they sue. You mm-hmm. know, so these large um, corporations or KFO owners will sue the DNR.
0: How um, do they? How are they suing the government when yeah. they're the ones destroying the common good, which is our fucking land? But they land. won't.
1: They won't. You know, they they don't think they are they're yeah. following all the rules
0: but that that's the interesting thing too is that like you mentioned that these rules were put in place in the 80s or 90s right mm-hmm. and they haven't been recalibrated and it's interesting because they'll complain that oh we do follow all these rules but it's like if you're actively like lining pockets of people that do maybe create new rules to incentivize them not to create new rules mm-hmm. then you can't really I, I mean I mean I guess you can if you're you're, you're a super villain and I'm not saying that, that the big dairy is but like that's that's not a good look.
1: Yeah, I don't think any of this is like intentional. Yeah. You know, I mean, they just kind of, they're in a business that just expanded rapidly and they found a way to exploit the rules that well, were there. But, you know, I mean, yeah, they don't want to change them because, yeah. you know, they're, they're working pretty well. And, and um, you know, but, on, you know, when, when something does happen, like a manure spill, the, the interesting thing is that you'd think our DNR could enforce a fine yeah. or enforce, you know, something. It gets reported if it gets reported, it's self reported or someone reports it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the Department of Justice is the one who enforces the fine, not the DNR. So our own DNR mm. has no authority Damn. to enforce these regulations. And you know, I, I, you always hear this about business too that they don't want to. They don't want to talk about uh, deregulation. You know, like we you know we got to deregulate. We got to de- What about re-regulation? Yeah, I think that's where we need to have a conversation. And what's happening now is that we're at three o'clock and nine o'clock on the on the clock, and we need to be at five and seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. That's where we need to be talking about yeah. this issue, because right now we don't agree, we, we don't compromise, nothing gets solved, and all we do is file lawsuits. Yeah, suing you know? each other back and forth. It's, down the aisle. it's madness. Yeah,
0: it's madness. When it's I think it's a little silly too, where it's like if. If you're going to be so deregulated, right, that you end up causing these types of mistakes and these terrible things that are going to destroy these these areas or potentially even where, yeah, people, yeah, just destroy these areas in Wisconsin where people maybe are going to leave. People are going to maybe want to move and not they don't want to live near a bunch of cow shit, near a bunch of manure, liquid manure everywhere, or even dr- not be able to drink their own water. Mm-hmm from a whole like a holistic business standpoint right you're gonna lose customers eventually down the line like yeah you might keep growing keep growing keep growing but that ha- that happens all the times with businesses where they're just like too big to fail and then they do and then you go to the government and you're like oh can you bail us out now we yeah. spilled we spilled a bunch of oil in the ocean we know we fought super hard to not be regulated at all right you know and then the valve that you guys usually regulate is the thing that fucking failed yeah but yeah. can you pay for this now? Because we don't want to. <laughs> yeah, it's that's it's it's sort of a similar thing, you yeah. know, where it's like if you guys aren't going to fix the commute, if why is the DNR or our government paying for these bottled waters to be shipped in as a band aid right now? Mm-hmm. But you guys won't let them be. Let's like, just check out what you're doing and make sure we do this in a healthier way.
1: It's a it's a conundrum. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can find a lot of information on this. You know, yeah. some of it is is you know kind of business related some of its political some of its environmental
0: and it all intertwines. It, you know? it,
1: it, it really does you know it is a big industry in wisconsin it is a huge industry well we're known
0: for it cheese heads you know yeah
1: yeah but there is a unsustainable consequence here when you get so big mm-hmm. um i also wanted to mention did you ever hear about the skittles spill skittles skittles no yes taste skittles, the rainbow the, the candy yeah yes. yeah um Four or five years ago, I might have read this. There was a spill of Skittles in, I believe it was southwestern Wisconsin. Don't quote me on that. um, All over the highway in the in winter, and they're like, "What are you? What happened? Like, why are you hauling Skittles?" Well, I'm bringing them to a dairy. We feed it to cows. No. Yeah, it's a cheap source of. They're feeding the cows. Skittles. The rejected Skittles. So they're misshapen. You know, they're not the perfectly round ones. Really? So these are the byproduct of Skittles Corporation, and they're feeding it to cows. To
0: cows, and then we eat, or then we eat their dairy product. The spin
1: they put on it was, well, we're being environmentally friendly because we're not filling up our landfill with old Skittles, with bad Skittles. That's what they said. And, and
0: you're just did this fly like this just <laughs> we, we were just cool with this
1: it's it's so bizarre it's it's almost like it, am i reading the onion yeah you know i mean this is just bizarre when you start to think about so cows eat grass
0: not skittles not typically. skittles
1: or silage or corn but yeah. that's what they get fed mm. they eat grass and that's why when you go to an expensive restaurant now it says you know grass oh, fed, grass fed. Ooh. yeah yeah um, but that's you know, what what is happening. So when I
0: read that I was like, this something's just uh, just wrong. Yeah. I yeah. mean the fact that it had to like blow up on the highway like we had to find out because it fell out on the highway. Yeah. Or else they wouldn't even have said anything. Yeah. That's wild, man. It it's, is aren't Skittles I this might be a myth, but I thought Skittles or sweethearts, one of those two, is like a couple molecules away from being plastic. <laughs> It's like borderline. plastic, And I love Skittle. Don't get me wrong. But like, that's crazy. Yeah. We're feeding them basically plastic, colored plastic.
1: Yeah. I mean, they'll they'll come up with a reason for everything. And, you know, I mean, it, again, it's a big industry and and, you know, size matters. Yeah. Uh, that that really impacts their bottom line. So it's just the more and more you find out about it, the more and more you go like, why does it have to be this way? Yeah, You know, why is, why is the city of Toledo suing the EPA right now? So 10, 12 years ago, um, the city of Toledo had to shut down its intakes out of Lake Erie because it's a shallower lake mm-hmm. and it was just choked with toxic green algae, kind of similar to the Crypto mm. thing that happened in Milwaukee. But, um, so they had to shut down their intake pipes for like days. So people didn't have a source of water for days. And now what they do is they they uh, monitor that with satellite imagery, so that when these toxic algae blooms get near their intake pipes, they shut them down, and then they have a backup water supply. So the city of Toledo has spent millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to try to upgrade all their systems for their their um, water treatment plant. Yeah. Yet the EPA really hasn't enforced, um, you know, a lot of regulation on large industrial CAFOs that surround Lake Erie. And so a lot of this, not all of it, but a lot of it is cow shit. Yeah. And, again, not all of it. It, If you're having
0: to shut down a lake, man, or shut down our in pipe, people can't have water in the United States of America, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's a problem. Can we draw the – like, I feel like pretty much everybody – in the country, unless you are the owner of a KFO, is going to agree that maybe we should do some. You'd think so. You know? you know, it's just a matter of, that's what, like, when we started talking about this the other day, and that's what kind of spawned this, that's where it was, like, it's sort of you just not knowing is the only reason you would be, you know, okay with it happening. Right. You know, but right. once you know, and that's what, too, I think we, we talked, um, and we can get to this, is um, a little bit about some lakes, like, are being deemed, like, after a certain point in the summer that like because of this algae right that people can't be swimming in them people can't be going and hanging out at the beach because the lake isn't really even safe to be swimming in
1: yeah there's a lot of impaired waters in wisconsin um i think there's over 400 now i that changes yeah um you know weather has a lot to do with that rainfall runoff uh, aquifer um, what is an
0: impaired water for uh,
1: just the water that is impaired beyond you know safety standards Okay. So, um, for instance, and, and, you know, you can call this a coincidence or, or not, but when I was a kid in Adams County, we would go uh, swimming at Lake Petenwell which is part of the Wisconsin River, or Lake Arrowhead, or Lake Russia Cree. Um, as soon as in the 90s, when the CAFOs started coming in, we started seeing more and more of this toxic green algae uh, shutting down our beaches. And if you've ever seen it, it looks like pea soup. Mm. And, and, again... <laughs> Um, this isn't all just CAFOs. Yeah, yeah. There's other this factors. This people that play fertilizing the their lawn and Roundup. You know, maybe and leaky septic tanks. Maybe it's in, you know maybe it's industrial. You know from the paper mill. Mm. There's a lot of things that contribute to it. But in a shallow impoundment, when I was a kid, we never had this issue. Yeah. And it didn't start happening until the nineties. And all of a sudden we're like, what do you mean we can't go to the beach? Yeah. You know because by August it's shut down. It's it's pretty grim. Yeah. Um, doesn't happen on all waters. Um, again, it's very, very impacted by weather. Um, but, you know, you've seen beach closings, and whether it's E. coli or it's some other, you know, environmental thing that has happened. Yeah. I, will just, I will say, though, that, you know, a lot of the lakes that I've encountered were, were definitely impacted by this. Uh, and yeah. It's not going away. Yes, yeah, there is the no yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. You know? There is no away. Yeah. Water doesn't go away. Yeah. You know, it's non-compressible. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's – it's just crazy, man, when you start breaking it down that way. Um, and there's there's some other stuff I want to get to on um, sort of the cheese thing. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll wrap the cheese thing for right now and the dairy and whatnot. Yeah. What could maybe yeah. somebody – I guess what has been your solution? Because you don't really eat dairy as much or cheese specifically as much. What could, like – Someone like myself that's a huge cheese lover. Mm-hmm. What is maybe something I could do, like a realistic thing that I could do to maybe try to cut back or try to help the situation? Just know where you're buying it from and who you're buying
1: it from. There's there's a lot of great sources of very sustainably raised um, animals, um, including chickens. But you know, just be aware of that. Now, not everyone can afford that. I yeah. get it. I totally get that. Not everyone can go to... Yeah. Gwennon Hill Farms, you know, organic farm and spend a lot of money on, you know, um, on on a steak or whatever, you know, you choose to buy there. Yeah. But there are options. Mm-hmm. And so just being aware of that is, yeah. is I think, one thing we're not going to stop it. You know, it's never going to stop. You know, people will always be buying cheese and eating cheese. And that's fine. You know, I think it's just being more aware of it, where it comes from, yeah. how it's made and. Um, and you know making a choice whether that's something that you want to want to do or not yeah yeah you know and that's always the big thing when i talk to people it's like how oh, i gotta have my cheese i get it yeah i totally get it i'm not here to talk you out of consuming dairy but when they spin it as a healthy food
0: yeah it's like huh no that's the other thing what? i love cheese and i know it is not good for me at yeah. all yeah that's, that's what uh yeah
1: yeah, I mean, you're not lactose intolerant. You're just not a baby cow. Yeah, but it's not for you. <laughs> it's yeah. literally not for you. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a thing where like you're, it's it's like alcohol, right? I mean, like it's not healthy for you. Yeah, you know, if you consume it in excess, it's going to be unhealthy. Yeah, and I would say the same thing about a lot of dairy products. If you eat way too much dairy, oh yeah, you're going to know it.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of stuff even. Even with when it comes to like acne, when it comes to like bloatedness, like there's there's even like little cosmetic things that if you eat a ton of dairy can affect you that way. So there's yeah, there's a laundry list of things. If you had to go, do you do you eat ice cream?
1: Um, Rarely. Okay. very rarely. If you
0: if you had to choose one or the other to let go of forever uh ice cream like i'm ice not cream. a
1: sweet guy i don't eat a lot of sweets yeah
0: see i have a big sweet tooth but i think i would also let go of ice cream over cheese just because i could eat cheese for everything i could eat a pizza every meal if i wanted to mm-hmm. it wouldn't be good for me but i could yeah i could do it yeah
1: it's like when i'm you know being a landscape architect and people say well you know you got to use salt tolerant plants in the urban environment and i'm like salt tolerant there are no plants that i know of that love salt like humans yeah. are salt tolerant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can tolerate some salt. Yeah. But yeah. that doesn't mean I should eat a shitload of it. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of the That's same. That's a
0: real term, plant, to- like salt tolerant plants. Salt tolerant plants? Yes. Yeah. Huh.
1: When we're doing stormwater, um, you know, uh, systems, green infrastructure, there's a lot of salt that runs off our streets and our parking lots. Yeah. Uh, especially in the spring. It you makes know, makes sense. Yeah. And then that goes into, you know, a system. And um, a lot of times those systems can really impact plants in a negative way. So people are always like, well, Tom, you just have to use salt-tolerant plants. And the people telling me to do that are people who don't realize that they're really – there's some plants that are more tolerant of salt than not, but that doesn't mean you can dump a shitload of salt on them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like – I don't That's that's like uh, trying to hold have somebody who can hold their breath longer underwater. Like yeah, he can hold his breath longer underwater, but a bit, eventually he's gonna drown. You <laughs> know, like eventually he's gonna drown. Like it's not it's yeah. not good for him. That's interesting. Yeah. Um. You. I. I was listening to another interview you did recent. Uh, I don't know how recent it was, but it. You said something that caught my eye. You said we expect water, not respect water, mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted to. Uh, Have you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah,
1: it's really our water ethic. You know, if you're familiar with Aldo Leopold, he had the land ethic. You know, he was a a, a Wisconsin writer and uh, educator and wrote the Sand County Almanac, and it's uh, to this day one of the best journals of environmentalism in, in, I think, in the U.S., if not the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have a really a water ethic uh, because we've been spoiled. You know, we have the Great Lakes right here. Yeah. Yes, we have the Great Lakes Compact, but there's a lot of things ha- that are happening with um, with our water, especially with the Great Lakes. That, that I think we just need to change our relationship with it. So, for instance, um, you know, we just expect water anytime we want it, where wherever we want it to wash our car. Uh, you know, just get bring the water on. Yeah. You know. And you're starting to see things in, in the Southwest and other areas that are experiencing drought where you know, we're just not gonna be able to do that, yeah. even in the Midwest. So two examples, I was at the Seattle airport um, a couple years ago, and Seattle gets a lot of rain.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Went into the bathroom and there's a sign on the wall that says these urinals uh, use roof water, gray roof water to flush the toilets. Yeah. We're not using our fresh drinking water to flush toilets and um i have a friend who's an architect who was involved with the urban ecology center here in milwaukee and this had never been done before but why can't we take the roof water and use that to flush toilets yeah and um the state plumbing code really didn't wasn't a like cal- again calibrated to, to be able to handle that like what, yeah. what do you mean we've yeah. never done this before and, and that's what i mean with our water ethic we really have to start thinking differently about not just how much water we use but how we use it and where it's coming from and are there other ways to deal with this you know a lot of a lot of people use the word sustainable and um you know i I have it's a very tribal term you know sustainable the way i see it nothing that humans do can be truly sustainable it can only be less non-sustainable and more logically efficient with lessened impacts yeah yeah that now you got the right mindset but when you just start greenwashing everything and saying it's sustainable and we can you know it it really takes us further away from water, which is why I came up with that one saying, you know, the earth is not green, it's blue. And that's because back in 2006, everyone was talking about green, 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 you know, the yeah. green economy. we got to go green. Everything's got to, you know, lead green. Oh, yeah. And I said, but what about water? Yeah. Like, you know, I, it, we really got to start thinking about water because, you know, I don't care how many electric cars you have, you can't drink them.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and if I'm sure have, they... They cost a lot of water to make an electric car, to if, make regular cars.
1: if 105,000 gallons of water to make a, a regular car.
0: That's a lot of gallons. That's not
1: salt water. Yeah. Um, but when you start to look at, and I don't know the actual answer to this, but when you start to look online about how many gallons of water it takes to process one gallon or one pound of lithium for mm-hmm. a lithium battery, you're going to come to the conclusion pretty quick that these electric cars that we were all lunging towards yeah. are going to have an impact, yeah. and that impact you, you haven't finished the whole cycle here, yeah. And that's how are we going to make all this lithium? How are we going to process all?
0: Yeah, of this? it's I mean it's sim- it sounds just right now a little similar some parallels to before where we're talking about people just kicking the can down the road. Like mm-hmm. let's not to say that an electric car maybe isn't a step, but it's like if we're just gonna put something off to another problem, mm-hmm. maybe we should. Think the whole arc through
1: yeah and and again i don't have the actual number yeah you know but um you know i i've asked this question you might have heard it in the other interview how many bottles of water does it take to make one bottle of water oh, yeah. in volume and you know so i did some research on the internet which means it's got to be true but um there was a guy who worked in the bottling industry who kind of like did his own calculations and figured it was about 88 gallons of uh, bottles of water. To make Make a bottle
0: a bottle of water
1: when you talk about the printing the labels the caps the wrapping the packaging everything that goes into making one bottle of water even if it's 40. yeah it's and i'm not against bottled water yeah yeah i'm just saying like we got to think about this
0: yeah stuff to be aware of and and even like you were saying uh, i think we were talking about it before we went live um, about the seattle thing and now you just mentioned it uh, again where they're you know trying to find ways to sort of work with nature and and in taking their their rain and obviously we don't get the same amount of rain as them but Mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy to think that we're going to use our fresh water to you know just water the crops have it in your hose to have it in the urinals that we're flushing at pfizer forum or whatever like that's maybe there's some there's some uh chances that we can put some other stuff in there you know maybe there's some opportunities to like let's use gray water let's use this here instead of all of our fresh water.
1: Mm-hmm. Or restrictors, so we're not using so much of that yeah. water. In Florida, they get over 59 inches, I think, annually of rainfall a year, but they're required by law to use recycled water for their landscape irrigation. Mm-hmm. In Wisconsin, we get 36, 37 inches a year, and we can use all the fresh water we want to landscape our lawns, our golf courses, our, our gardens, whatever. So again, it's sort of like a mind a mindset you know, like in Florida, they get so much rain. Yeah. But yet, they have to use recycled water for their irrigation. Yeah. So I think it, we're, we're going to be moving closer and closer to those models. Yeah. And they've been proven, and they work, and they're logically efficient. So we should. We should. We yeah. should start having uh, – be start, you know, we, we need to have some really good
0: conversations about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense, especially when you lay it out like that. Um, I want to – I was curious, like – What are maybe some misconceptions then um, about, I guess, when you start getting in a conversation like this with somebody, right, and they start maybe having questions kind of how I've been poking fun, maybe asking some other questions as you've been saying things, what are, like, common things or pushbacks that people say um, maybe from the Midwest, specifically the Great Lakes area, whatever, when you start bringing up that, like, maybe we should start looking at these things differently?
1: Um. Well, a lot of it is just they're just not aware of it, Yeah, you know, because they've never had a hardship about it, you know, until something starts impacting you directly.
0: Until that county loses water for
1: a week. Right. Or let's look at let's look at Arizona. Since the beginning of time, humans have not occupied the desert in great numbers. Yeah. For a good reason.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And now
1: we've just engineered our way out of it. Yeah. And highly engineered systems only delay inevitable failure. Mm -hmm. um what was interesting about you know you you mentioned the midwest um back in 2017 i was invited to go down and speak at a lecture and a symposium in new orleans and so they call milwaukee the fresh capital of the world and i i think new orleans should be called the storm capital um of the world because stormwater capital of the world because they got issues yeah you ever been there
0: no i haven't i actually want to go yeah and some
1: parts of the city are 17 feet below sea level that's scary and there's massive pumps and things like that so They came up here and they saw all these projects that we were working on, some of them that, you know, I've talked to you about. And they're like, wow, who did this project? And it was, you know, this architecture firm and this, you know, engineer and this. But we're doing it here in Milwaukee. We're doing it here in Wisconsin. Can you guys come down and tell us about, you know, give us stories about what you guys are doing with your free resource that falls from the sky and what you do with that? before yeah. it goes into a pipe and ends up in a combined sewer and then overflows into Lake Michigan. What are you, what are you doing with that water? So we, we brought up all these great examples of some of the projects that we've been working on or that have been done for a long time. Uh, the architect joined us. We had an architect engineer, me, the landscape architect. So we, we filled the room and um, we'd get a lot of this. Uh, well, you know, we got clay soils down here. I'm like, yeah, you ever been to Wisconsin? Mm. it's a lot of clay yeah um we have mosquitoes down here yeah Yeah. we got those too (laughs) we got mosquitoes too yeah yeah. and you know it rains a lot and all of these things all these things that they were bringing up is that they thought they were unique issues to them yeah and i said well i'm going to spin that i'm going to say we got one thing that you don't have and it's called winter yeah and the ground freezes so we can't infiltrate stormwater during the winter so now what do we do with that stuff now how do we mitigate it how do we manage it And that's why I I really enjoyed working on the Colectivo in Bayview. I mean, that was just a fun project because we took the roof water and we just did something with it. Yeah. What did you guys end up doing with it? Well, we couldn't infiltrate it because the site was contaminated and the soils were really tight. So that that water wasn't going to go into the ground. Yeah. But, you know, when you start to think about how much water is falling on a rooftop, they call them blue roofs. And you can detain stormwater up on a rooftop so it doesn't go into the storm pipe as rapidly as possible and overwhelm the sewer system so if you can hold it back now you know you're doing something right you might not be infiltrating it you might not be putting it into a bioswale or a green infrastructure but you're holding it back so part of the water goes into a series of troughs with a with a pump on one side of the building and it recirculates the stormwater. Okay. and kids like play with little rubber duckies and they have races and so it's a water feature okay it's an interactive Wow, I can see it. I can touch it. I can feel it. Kind of a of a thing. And on the other side of the building, we have a large cistern, so that collects the rainwater that is used then for landscape irrigation when they need it. Um, and then also, there's a dry stream bed. So water that comes off the roof, instead of going directly into a pipe directly into the storm sewer, it goes through this nat you know natural landscape and a dry stream bed slows it down. Yeah. And then eventually, it makes it its way into the storm sewer, but it's not happening. At a rapid pace,
0: and by slowing it down, what are the benefits then of slowing it down that way?
1: Well, just it doesn't overcharge the storm sewer. Mm. You know, when you take water and you put it in a pipe as rapidly as possible, um, you know, you treat it like a waste product. Yeah, that's what's happening. You know, when we get big rain events and you get these combined sewer overflows. So if you could hold it back or do something with it, yeah, which is what MMSD is doing with with their green infrastructure program and their grant program is there, let's let's capture as many gallons as we can yeah either infiltrate it into the ground put it through a bioswale create a, a stormwater feature a rain garden whatever you know a blue roof a green roof yeah let's hold it back as long as we can and let nature utilize that water instead of throwing it into a storm pipe and then overloading our sewer so it's a great it's a again it's a mindset yeah it's just a, a different way of thinking
0: interesting so when you and what happens when you like when those systems are super overloaded what are sort of the uh, repercussions or ramifications of that on like a to an average person I guess what would happen what would happen to the city of Milwaukee let's say if all those things were starting to fail they were being over overloaded and whatnot what, what happens
1: well it's a sewer you know a sewer overflow it, it, the effluent ends up in Lake Michigan into our drinking water there's nowhere else to yeah. go with it I mean this the this, the deep tunnel project can only take on so much. Yeah. But what has happened, too, is back in the 90s, uh, my sister's basement was flooded because, mm. you know, these storm pipes couldn't take on any more water. Ended up going into her window wells and, you know. Yeah. So, th- you know, there's just a lot of these weird storm events that come on so quickly and only so much of that can be absorbed.
0: Yeah. And, and especially, I feel like, too, in, in recent years, weather has been slightly less predictable, I feel like, almost, when it comes to our extreme storms and whatnot, so having systems in place like that like the rock gardens and these other things that you mentioned that slow it down makes sense it all helps yeah
1: you know any gallon that you can get and that's that's where i you know with mmsd i agree with them like you know if we can just capture and hold back as much water as we can and 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 let nature do its thing you know we're all going to be better off and that's kind of their mission and they've done a great job i think of of implementing that that strategy
0: yeah, well, I think it's important to have uh, to have stuff like that in place and have things like that being there. That's something that they've recently been doing, I imagine, or is that? Oh, this has been going, this going, on, going long on for time. a while. That's yeah. been going on for a while. Yeah. Um, you mentioned too when you were in uh, in Louisiana, speaking with them, speaking with those people. Um, you mentioned the kind of the different hats that were in the room. You obviously I introduced you as a, a landscape architect. That's what you do. What is that? Specifically, I know we've kind of been getting into a lot of the stuff you know about in your expertise, mm-hmm. but more specifically, and I guess generally, what is a, a landscape architect? And what is it? What is it that you do?
1: Well, and I always when I teach that class at UWM or I'm starting something, I always call it landscape architect, not plantscape architect, mm. because for some reason people think when you're a landscape architect, you can solve all their lawn issues yeah. or hey, I've got this tree with spots on the leaves. And I'm like, I'm not a... Like, is this
0: poison ivy? Like, what yeah. is going on? Over you know, I'm it not ran a random. botanist. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. an
1: ecologist. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a horticulturist. I got to know a lot about all of those things. Yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong. I know a lot about plants. I know a lot about trees. I know a lot about soil. But to me, a landscape architect is someone who d- designs outdoor spaces for people. Yeah. Whether that's in nature, and we do a lot of parks and trails, Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's an ecological restoration project around an old quarry that now you're creating habitat or whether that's an urban plaza and you're creating an outdoor space for people to function and you're making it a very hospitable, very, very cool place to hang out. Yeah. Uh, they do that a lot in Europe. You know, they have these things called a vunerf w- It's mm. a Scandinavian term where they take a street and it's not car centric. It's people centric. Cars can still use it, Bikes can use it. Pedestrians can use it. But it's a shared space. Wow. It's not car-centric. So landscape architecture, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different um, aspects to the to the profession. Yeah. And some of it is a little bit more leans, you know, towards horticulture. You know, if you happen to work for a landscape construction company that does a lot of residential, you know, beautiful residential designs, that's a landscape architect. Yeah. Um, I, I work for an engineering firm. And there's a real synergy between me and the civil engineers when when that interface happens on stormwater or on soils or on site design. You know how we we worked on a a hospital project and and me and, and the civil engineer, we had a great relationship. You know, like what happens when you go to a hospital? You're typically pretty stressed out. Yeah. So let's make it as intuitive and nice as possible for people to understand where the door is how to get there and where to park. Let's not stress them out with a bunch of zany stuff on the site or, you know. You
0: gotta overdo it design-wise. It doesn't gotta be, you know, this crazy thing. It, right.
1: Simplicity. Yeah, pretend you're Aunt Alice who needs to go and, you know, have, have an MRI done. Yeah. You know, what what are you thinking when you pull up to a hospital? And so we use that in our site design principles and we thought about that. Yeah. And we're like, what is the experience? You didn't you
0: know, work on Mount Pleasant uh, Aurora, did you? No, because I will say I pulled in the wrong parking lot like twice going to that one <laughs> to visit my girlfriend, and I gotta say whoever did that one needs to maybe, yeah, you know, give you a call next time <laughs> and be like, let's make this a little bit more intuitive, because yeah, well, I I'm s- also it, an idiot, so it could have been me.
1: You know, but uh, I think a lot of that does get confusing, and part of yeah. that is either like the engineering group at the city that requires certain things. Uh, you know on paper things look very different than they do in real person yeah and so really having the ability to visualize in three dimensions and and put yourself as a soccer mom in that van going to mm. you know whatever store you're going to go to yeah. and you're there for the first time and kids are screaming you know you've got to make this intuitive yeah. and sometimes the best design is the most simple design yeah and and so that's what we do i mean it's it's fun uh, yeah. I get involved in a lot of really fun projects, um, and it's really cool to be able to go back to a place and and look at people interacting in these spaces. And you know, I don't I don't go there and raise my hand and say I did this. Yeah, yeah. But it's just fun to sit back and. But watch. you could. I wouldn't. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's
0: cool though. Though that that's got to be extremely fulfilling, you know. And that's I've always heard that about engineering. I was we were talking before we went live. I it was something I was considering going into was engineering before I switched to marketing and it's something you hear a lot about it is the fulfillment aspect of it because you are in a lot of ways the same way artists and whatnot can see something that before everyone else does and then they get that finished product whether Mm -hmm. it's a song or a painting or whatever Mm -hmm. as an architect or an engineer you're you have a vision you have a plan you have an idea and then you put that into you know, into formulas, and you get your your drawings, and you you get your CAD documents, and then all of a sudden you're going out. And now you've got a site, and now you've got a finished thing that people are just living in and, mm-hmm. and existing in, and and hopefully using the way you intended in some way. You know, yeah. and, and I think that's cool.
1: And the other part about the profession too is like I'm I'm an old curmudgeon. You know, I mean, I went to myad. I I love to draw, mm-hmm. so I still draw by hand.
0: Really? Oh yeah. And no uh no what are they they called our engineering teacher he would. We had, we had an issue where a lot of kids they do the hairy lines when they try to draw by hand so mm-hmm. for people that don't know what that is that's like if I'm trying to draw these are there's a there's a couple of lines right oh wait there's a couple of lines people will do this when they're drawing their homes because they think they're being straighter <laughs> <laughs> and we call that uh, you can't see it on the fucking thing can you can see those <laughs> hairy lines yeah. okay yeah we call those hairy lines and so you don't got any hairy lines you got Good, straight. Uh,
1: confident. Yeah. Give me a Sharpie. And that's crazy. And let me man. work my magic. And I actually have clients and other architects that I work with that tell me, like, Tom, we don't want CAD. Yeah. Yet. And eventually everything goes into CAD because that's how that's the world course, we live yeah. in. But in order to really design a space, I have to do it by hand. Yeah. I can't sit down behind a computer. I and, feel like you if, know,
0: if that's what you're, you're uh, proficient in, that's what you're comfortable with, it makes more sense because it's going to you're not worried about whatever other barriers there are with using cad and whatever you're just worried about creating the best space creating the best thing Mm -hmm. you know so whatever the tool is for you if that for someone else if it is cad or whatever you know doing it by hand if that's what it is for you then that's the way you should do it
1: yeah and i think a lot of engineering tasks can be done in cad they don't have to be hand drawn but again some of the engineers i work with when we're doing grading plans they still pull out a red pencil and draw the contours because they need to Process that with their eye, brain, and hand. Yeah, they can't just go right into the CAD thing and figure it all out.
0: And there is some too that psychologically, where when you, because when we when you learn things, I was just breaking this, talking to a friend about this. Um, when you learn things, that's, it's such a big thing in school. When like if you're listening to a teacher give a lecture or something, and if you were to take that in, you're hearing them say it. maybe they're doing a diagram or whatnot. So you're also seeing the the information. But when you write it down, you take that third step and you write something down, or in this case, you're drawing it out yourself, it does really do something else for your brain to mm-hmm. either conceptualize and or remember information, um, which I think is important. So that, that's sort of another benefit to drawing by hand. Right. Yeah, you know, so that's You're kind that's of walking through
1: the space and yeah. you know, getting, getting to understand it better.
0: Any favorite... Um, um, projects you've worked on in recent years, obviously Collectivo was a, was an interesting one.
1: Yeah, that was a really cool project. Um, recently, it was just published in a na- national publication in landscape architecture. Yeah, uh, we got it was a special issue on uh, school campuses, college campuses. Mm. And I've been doing some work with Marquette University the last few years, and have developed a great relationship with their facilities management team and the architects that work over there. They're just they're great people. And um, it's like one of these things where, when I talk about it, it's like the top one of the top five projects and I've been doing this 36 years. Wow. Um, So one of my top projects was the Joan of Arc Chapel at Marquette University. It was a chapel that was built in France in 1492. Okay. And then it was dismantled in the 20s, I believe, and brought over to Rochester, New York, stone by stone. Yeah. uh, Section by section, window by window, roof tile by roof tile. Rebuilt. Yeah. And then in the 60s, someone bought it from whoever that was. There's a whole story behind it. And brought it to here. And brought it to Marquette and rebuilt the chapel. And so, two, three years ago, um, the Kabbalah Washako architects invited me to join their team. I do a lot of work with them in fact the architect i was referring to before that went down to new orleans yeah you know um, he uh, vince mike he was one of the architects that you know he, he they've done some incredible work yeah um it, you know just check out their website i mean they they're just really really excellent architects and so um they, they brought me in as as the site designer and it was in pretty bad shape it was not ada compliant there's a lot of stone paving that was more of a trip hazard than than a walking surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the stone walls that were built in the '60s were in disrepair, um, and a lot of the plant material was, especially some of the older trees, were diseased. Um, so these were big trees, and it's really hard to convince people. Hey, we're going to cut down all these trees. Yeah, but they were, you know, in such bad shape. And to really do the job justice, we had to really kind of rethink all of these gardens and these spaces. And so we we got it. In fact, I'll be there tomorrow morning uh, walking the site okay. with a contractor, you know, to, to look at some of the plant material and make some adjustments. But, again, it's it, how often are you going to work on a project on a building that was built in 1492?
0: in And built in two different places <laughs> right? before this one. Yeah. So this is the third time it's being put yep. together. Yeah. That's crazy. So
1: very, very cool project. Um, and... Uh, another one was the Madison Children's Museum rooftop garden. Oh, okay. Um, we we did that project again with the Caballo Aschko Architects. Um, Sauk Prairie Memorial Hospital was was another one where, you know, ninety percent of that landscape is is native vegetation. Yeah. Because they didn't want to be mowing turf and attracting flying rats, Canadian mm. geese. Yeah. <laughs> flying rats, I like. That. You know, and so if you plant it up with native landscape, you know, you can mitigate some of those issues and. You get you know better pollinators, better for the environment, better for migratory birds, yeah. better for wildlife habitat, and it and it looks a lot better than just mowed turf.
0: Yeah, wow, that's that's interesting, man. When when you um, when you work on one of these projects, are these I guess just in general in the line of work you do? If you kind of sign on to a project, how long usually are you working on sort of the same thing?
1: It varies. Mm-hmm. It re- it really varies. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm working on a botanical garden up in Wausau right now that, you know, might might be a three quarters of a year to a year mm-hmm. to get the final plans and specs done. Um, there are multi-phase projects that we work on where there's a mixed use of multifamily retail, office, institutional, but it's a major development. So yeah. that can go on for years. Yeah. You know, wow. and then, you know, I, we did the first Cabela's in Wisconsin up in oh, Richfield really? and that was really cool. Yeah. Um, cause they were just a really, really great client and they had a vision. And, um, so we worked with them and, and uh, that, that project, I think soup to nuts was about a year and a half.
0: Wow. Yeah. What's, what's, uh, you mentioned that they were a really great client. How does it work? What, what, what would be, or what would it take for someone to maybe not be? a great client like is it is it lack super lack of vision where they're just like whatever you guys want and then they come in and they're like oh this isn't what we this isn't what i pictured even though they didn't gave you nothing like what does it mean to have a maybe a good client as a an engineer versus a bad
1: client i just think of the communication yeah if you're communicating really well with your client regardless of who the end user is Mm -hmm. um it could be a i don't know a fleet farm Yeah. You know, but when they're engaged and they say, you know, this is our budget, this is what we want. Here's how we're going to maintain it. You know, these are the design principles that we want. We have a prototype. We want you to, you know, it's just so much easier to get to the to the end line. and The finish line when you have good communication and a client that's engaged versus someone who maybe isn't, you know, as communicative or doesn't really want to engage in the details and they just want it done. Yeah. as cheaply and fastly as po- you know just get it done as fast as possible as cheaply as possible yeah. you know that's fine yeah you know yeah, of i course. mean there are, there are businesses that that's part of their business model but you know i don't sit up at night thinking about the design yeah yeah you know it's yeah, pretty yeah. much just following municipal code at that point
0: yeah yeah you're just doing whatever you got to do what's um what sort of maybe cuz you, you went to school for this you've been teaching now for a while you've been in the field for a long time you've been hanging around engineers for a while what is uh, what what is sort of some that people should know regular folk that aren't engineers should know? I got a buddy that just I was telling you before we went live, a buddy of mine that just graduated from MS. So just got his first big boy job. Uh, shout out, Steve. He's been on the show. Um, <laughs> congrats. Congr- congrats to you, man. Um, what what are what are the 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 stereotypes, maybe the stigmas that, that come with being an engineer? What, what is that? Uh, what's that like? What are other engineers like as an engineer? It's it's an interesting question because, you know, like accountants, there's like a thing. Oh, absolutely. You like, you know, when someone's an accountant. Yeah.
1: Yeah. "Ah." And back in the 60s, (laughs) if you were an engineer, you had a pocket protector and Mm. Elvis Costello glasses. Oh, really? You know, and and a buzz haircut. Do you ever notice everyone who put men on the moon in NASA? um, They were all like white shirt and tie, completely stressed out, sweating all the time, chain smoking. (laughs) Yeah. You know, workaholics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the interesting thing about the space program when we were doing Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo is that NASA hired graduate engineers, but one of the criteria was, did you grow up on a farm? If you grew up on a farm and you got an engineering degree, they would hire you in a second because when you grew up on a farm and your PTO belt broke, you didn't have tractor supply or home yeah. depot. Yeah, yeah. You had to figure out how to fix this stuff on the fly.
0: This needs to start running again. Virtually. Yeah, so
1: I th- I found that really fascinating. Yeah. You know, so um and and 20 years ago when I when I joined the firm, you know, I was the first landscape architect that they had hired and I was absolutely freaked out cuz yeah. I walk in with you know, colored markers and colored pencils and you know, rolls of paper and I'm, you know, more on the creative side and I'm surrounded by 200 civil engineers. Yeah and i felt a little bit out of place yeah yeah, i could see that (laughs) but it was the best thing i ever did because i've i've developed great friendships with with a lot of these engineers i've learned a lot from them and they've learned a lot from me um, because i've been able to share with them what design is so there's this thing called design right and then Mm -hmm. you can engineer the design and you can landscape the design and you can build the building for the design but there's this thing that happens. With multidisciplinary groups of and teams of people, and when you have all of those things gelling up in front before you start putting, you know, pen to paper, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah, I'm Some sure it's ca- easier, it makes the process easier. Well, much easier, but also, you know, people call it collaboration. Again, it goes down to communication. Yeah, if you can vet so many things in the front, like. Oh, the structural engineer brought up that issue, or the traffic engineer brought up this issue, or the municipal planner said we need to com- comply with this zoning regulation. And you're talking about all of that up front. You're not spinning your wheels. Yeah. You're never going to hit a rewind button mm-hmm. because yeah. every, now you've got a plinth, yeah. and that's where you build it from. And um, and that's why I think you know working with engineers for, for me has been really exciting. I'm and obviously I'm a landscape architect, so I work with architects as well in a lot of different disciplines. Yeah. But um, you know the civil engineers that I've been fortunate enough to be in, you know working with have taught me a lot.
0: Yeah. What's um, what's something maybe that as an architect, that you've butted heads with other engineers on? because that's what I, it was always kind of a joke even when I was in these dual credit courses about architects and engineers. And mm-hmm. sometimes architects wanted things to like look and feel a certain way as where the engineers were like, this is what the equation says, this yes. is what it has to be. Yeah. Is that the most of the budding of heads if there is that?
1: Pretty much, yeah. you know, and I'm like this liaison in between because I have both technical ability and, and engineering and, and understanding. And then I've got this creative side yeah. that the architects, you know, so I'm kind of like this liaison in between them. Is typically they come out with boxing gloves on and just start going mm-hmm, at it you know yeah, yeah um but you know i mean i, th- I think again if, it, if if you understand where people's motives are coming from so for instance what i what I say to a lot of my team members is there's 10 ways we could do this and they'd all be right there isn't just one way to do this yeah and so what i've seen a lot, sometimes when the budget is tight and you don't have a lot of time you know one, one and done where the architect will be like, well, no, what if we did this? Or what if we did that? Or what if we move the entrance over here off the state highway? Or what if we did? There's consequences and risk to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and engineers like to get to the bottom of that as efficiently as possible. I get that. I understand that. Yeah. But when they say, well, I'm done, I'm like, well, we just got started. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's one way to do it. But what if we did do this or what if we did and mm. that's why it's so important to talk up front yeah and like I said, have, this have that design have yeah. this design thing happen, then you can engineer that design. But if you go right into engineering're mm. you're, you're, you're missing so many opportunities yeah to let the creative, process happen well
0: and like you said too then you're when you do that up front you're going to have to do less of the fixing less of the Mm -hmm. rewinding and being like wait maybe we could do this better maybe we could save more money here like maybe we can you know even on a on stuff like that there's going to be other opportunities so yeah it's interesting
1: and i still get that like oh you're the creative guy tom you're (laughs) gonna go go in your room and use your markers yeah you know
0: and i I laugh about it you know
1: because i don't have a pocket protector no. <laughs> no. Did you have the glasses, though? No. no Maybe when I had... was a little kid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think in kindergarten I had a picture with these really knucklehead glasses that were probably crooked, had tape on them. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you didn't have a lot to choose from when you were six years old in 1970.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's fair. That's fair. Um, well, man, we're, we're pretty much there. We, we've rolled into about an hour here, just over an hour. Cool. Um, is there anything that we didn't get to today yet that you, that you want to make sure we touch on here?
1: I just think you know, um, you know, again going back to that water ethic, yeah. Th- there, there's just some staggering things out there about water that that I think you know people would be interested in. Like we use more water in one day than we use oil in a year. Really? So you start to get your head around how much water we're using it and what we're using it for. Yeah. And it, it just kind of changes your mindset. I'm not saying you know, don't drink water and turn don't off shower, your shower. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm just saying like just think about it. Yeah. Just think about what this resource is, where it comes from, and you know now you're starting to hear about water hunters, and then the Great Lakes are a target.
0: Water hunters. Oh yeah. What is that?
1: Private industry looking to secure water rights, and the whole water rights discussion. You need an attorney to talk about that. I'm not an expert. Really? What in is
0: it. what is the whole? What is even that issue? Like they're trying to like take chunks of the Great Lakes, or they're trying to take chunks of our lakes? What are they trying to do? They're not.
1: They're not taking anything yet yeah they're talking about it um that's, that's kind of scary yeah well yeah. i mean uh, this book i read i think it was either blue revolution or it was um oh, what was the other one blue gold where you know you have western states looking at the great lakes and the mississippi river basin is a, a plentiful water source why don't we pipe it why don't we pipe it over the mountains and you know now we got to, all our water problems ourselves because we're taking it out of the Great Lakes. And I always said, well, if you had a pitcher of water yeah. and you put 17 straws in there, it's going to go down a lot faster.
0: And it was going down. And before. it's not
1: going to replenish. I mean, look at Lake Mead right now. Yeah. You know, it's almost a dead pool, which means that. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where again we have to start thinking differently about um, this resource yeah and, and and our relationship with it but yeah there's water hunters there um people are looking at the great lakes i heard one author i can't remember which book it was but there's a lot of books out there yeah there's a lot of uh, documentaries out there about water mm-hmm. and i can i can name a few but um you know if you're more interested in it but um they're saying that within 50 years that, and, and who knows right but 50 yeah. to 75 years we're going to be fighting war over water wow and it's probably going to be the great lakes cuz that's the biggest source of fresh water on earth yeah
0: that's uh that's a little unnerving right there
1: yeah i try not to think about it
0: yeah i've got you know what's i get this all this is slightly lighter maybe Good. but i have a buddy who he's like obsessed with going and getting he gets fresh water from uh natural springs artesian wells yeah, mm-hmm. here in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And he when he was here visiting him, uh, like a week or so ago, he was like trying to convince me. I guess there's one like pretty close to here, like 10, 15-minute drive. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we got to go. And I was like, I got a Brita. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm okay right now. He's like, dude, it's different. It's different water. It is different. Yeah. It, I've I, had I, it. Is yeah. it is it better?
1: It's... it's- I don't know. Do you I, feel a healing cleanse? Uh, no. No. <laughs> I feel a healing quenched thirst. Mm, there we go. Um, but no, there's there's uh, artesian wells up in Ashland, all along the Shawamagun Bay lakeshore. Yeah. Um, and people bring their buckets there and and fill them up. Um, there's some out by the the lakes region in, in Waukesha County. Yeah. You know, just just right there. It's an artesian well. How's that work? You
0: just take as much water as you want, like.
1: Yeah, if you own the property, sure. Oh, okay. you know, yeah. but if it's if it's public, like the ones up in Ashland, you know, go go knock yourself out. Yeah, it's it's great, you know, that we still have that source. Um, I always recommend people testing their water as much as possible, especially if you're around, uh, you know, agribusiness and and big, you know, farming, industrial farming.
0: Do they sell at home tests, or uh, how could you t- how could you test it? Because we had one time my high school. It was awesome for me. I was a senior, and they somebody they they were testing our water. They were doing a water unit. Some project lead the way class was doing that, and uh, they messed up. And so it came back saying that we had E. coli in the water. (laughs) We we got a couple days off of school, so I was cool with it. (laughs) Then they came back. Then they had real people. They had to pay a bunch of money to have these like real fucking people come in and test the water. And they were like, no, the water's fine. But shout out to whoever that was. I didn't know what they were doing. But do they sell like tests that you could? Test, like, your water quality at home? or Probably pH, you know,
1: like really, really basic stuff. But if you're looking to, you know, see if you've got nitrates in your water because you're near a lot of industrial agribusiness or if there's, uh, you know, E. coli, uh, phosphorus is another one that can make it into the groundwater. I mean, it's staggering how many people in Wisconsin get their water from groundwater. It's a lot, you know, and these are high-capacity wells that are drilled very deep yeah and you know that's groundwater and it's really you know it's kind of a whole different science but the clean water act from 1972 doesn't cover groundwater it only covers surface water yeah so here we are you know
0: and and a lot of people are drinking this
1: yeah bathing in it yeah but people assume like the epa and the clean water act solved everything it didn't here we are to 2023 yeah how are we doing yeah well i just kind of spelled out a lot of issues that are still happening with our water that the clean and water act did not fix yeah and we just keep you know assuming that it's always going to be there whenever we want it and we can engineer our way out of it
0: yeah yeah that's dangerous like you said that's a mindset right where it's like instead of just continuously pushing it off maybe start Mm -hmm. figuring out ways to to deal with it and and sort of live with nature as opposed to what you're describing which is well we'll just you know bulldoze our way through it Mm -hmm. we'll just math our way out of this right you know and it's it's only going to happen eventually you're going to run into a problem an equation you can't solve right you know and then it's like it's much math as you have it's not going to help so it's kind of scary
1: just being aware of it and you know i'm not trying to be scary about it i'm just trying to be create awareness yeah like did you know
0: Exactly. And that's the thing. I didn't know any of this until we started talking. And so that's yeah. why I'm sure there are people out there that don't know. Um, and I think it's, I don't know, it, it, it's as an architect, as, as someone who has, you know, experience in engineering, it's what's the first step of the design process is you got to define the problem. You got to know what problem it is you're solving. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you don't know a problem exists, you cannot, you're not going to be able to start figuring out ways to mitigate your effects on it, the way you're supporting that or not supporting it. And so, yeah, I think awareness is like the biggest thing right now. It's just making more people aware of what's going on.
1: Because mm-hmm. there's so, a lot of denial. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, saying that, that it's not a problem. We got this. Yeah. You know, and then that's when you end up with issues like PFAS. Yeah. You know, PFAS.
0: That's what we were going to get to. We were talking about this real before quick, we went live. I mean, yeah. those
1: are for, forever chemicals. They're getting all the press right now. Yeah, these are chemicals that were used in firefighting foam back in the '80s. And so,
0: what does PFAS stand for? It's oh, don't ask, man. A <laughs> you, lot of know? stuff I can't that's, pronounce. Okay, that's, fair, that's It's fair. long, yeah, and yeah. it's I, I don't I'll know. Flash, I'll butcher it. I'll butcher it right it's now. P F A
1: S. Yeah, you got to butcher it. But a lot of funding is going into trying to mitigate the impacts of, of PFAS. It's not just firefighting foam, but it's in a lot of different products, including like some uh, sportswear. So this is a forever chemical that is used in different compounds to create different products. And they're starting to find, like up in Marinette, where they were making this firefighting foam, they're they're finding it in white-tailed deer and bald eagles. Mm -hmm. And these are chemicals that do not break down. Yeah. They'll end up in your body and they won't go anywhere. So it's a big issue. And now it's getting a lot of funding, you know, from, from state government, federal government. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Now it's a threat, right? Yeah. What if you're pregnant? What if your little child is drinking tap water and you got yeah. PFAS in it? What does that mean?
0: Yeah. What kind of developmental issues are they going to grow up with drinking that? Yeah.
1: So again, it's it's you know how's that Clean Water Act working out for us? Yeah. Not great.
0: <laughs> well, dude, that's the thing too. So I I um I've been finding out too that I might I have not gotten tested yet. I'm I'm hopefully going to be tested here soon. But a lot of people have at least that I know from the area i was growing up in have been sort of developing symptoms and or side effects of like thyroid issues Hmm. and thinking there might be some sort of link to potentially the type of water we were consuming the type of products that were being put into our water supply and so it's it's just interesting to think of from a holistic standpoint it's like this stuff does go somewhere especially if you're talking about a forever chemical like Mm -hmm. this and other things it's like I think even stuff with like Roundup. Hasn't there already been evidence on Roundup with like spraying your lawn with Roundup to kill weeds and whatnot can cause cancers in, in animals in that same vicinity, like people's cats and dogs that are outside all the time are coming down with side effects and dying earlier than they normally would. I mean, I'm not yeah, putting that on your right. on you or anything. What, but, but read Aaron Brockovich's
1: book. Yeah. Superman isn't coming. Yeah. That's how that's a book. Yeah. Superman Superman isn't coming, coming, which means you need to get involved. You can't expect your government to do it for you. Yeah. There's going to be no Superman who's going to come in and fix all of this. Yeah. So until we become aware of it and engaged and we hold our elected officials accountable for protecting our water. Yeah. uh, Not reacting to some industrial issue that happened 30 years ago or 40 years ago, but actually protecting our water now. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been studies and reports. I mean, in the in the presentation I gave it, it's I could your eyes would just glaze over at mm-hmm. the amount of reports and studies and scientific fact that has been put on all of this. And and then that it's kind of like a stall tactic. Oh, let's just do another report. We, we got to make sure that that that's actually happening. So yeah. meanwhile, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the, and the profits keep coming. But yeah do that report you know and it's bad yeah, it is a stall we basically. have to start listening to science real real science not science that's funded by special interests yeah not science that's been funded by you know again cafo you know, industry or uh, any industry yeah we have to listen to scientists and and really look at this objectively and say you know we can't keep going like this yeah we need we need truth and that's what i always I tell my daughters i was talking to you about them earlier my biggest fear for them, and probably you as well, is lack of access to the actual truth. Yeah. What happened?
0: We are in the yeah, because we're in the age of of misinformation for sure, mm-hmm. and especially now, um, just that some of these companies have become so large when they can do their own. Research right mm-hmm. and development on things, and they can come to you with a study, and it's like, oh, well, look at this study that we paid off these people to do, mm-hmm. and come up to this conclusion that we knew would work and now benefit our industry or our product. Yeah,
1: and they'll argue that the environmentalists are doing the exact same thing. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you came up with all this, you know, bogus, you know, material, and we, we're not buying it. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, it is. It's dangerous, and it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of he said, she said, and because of some people play in that game now that we have the internet we have access to everything it sort of diminished the quality of of real research and or at least the legitimacy of it because you would before if there was a report or if there was a you know a peer-reviewed thing you would just be like okay mm-hmm. this is from this credible i can see that's from these people but now you have, when you have companies with much more money than these this peer-reviewed paper they just put out their own Pretty six much. of their own and then that's what's going to show up at the top of google and the top of whatever and it happens everywhere
1: it's not just about water yeah you know yeah in every
0: industry yeah. so it is a, it is a little dangerous um what is you've been you've mentioned a lot of uh a lot of interesting stuff here today um if people want to maybe get in touch with you check out some stuff or if there's some maybe specific i know you mentioned some documentaries some other things people are interested in kind of getting more into this what are some things that they could uh that they could look at?
1: Um, if you're interested in you know the impacts of, of in industrial, industrial agribusiness on our water, there's a guy named John Eichard, who is a um, professor, he's retired, he is really knowledgeable, he's from the University, I believe, of Missouri. He is a very well-spoken uh, author uh, who knows a lot about uh, the impacts of industrial agribusiness on not just the family farm, but you know, what it's done to the industry. He started out as an agricultural, um, economic, uh, economist. Okay. And so he's got a really interesting background. But some of the movies, um, there's one called Right to Harm because they always say, well, we have a right to farm. Mm. So check out Right to Farm because okay. it's really pointing out some of the things that is happening, especially like in North Carolina with the hog KFOS. Um, another one is, um, uh, well there's a lot of books like i said blue revolution um and cynthia barnett she was in uh, blue gold that's maud, maud barlow okay. um some of these are gloom and doom yeah. some of them are actually not not all gloom and doom they're yeah. like here's what we can do the aaron brockovich one I, I mentioned yeah but last call to the oasis is another one um kiss the ground kiss yeah that's uh, it's about organic farming and um cover crops and what people are doing to preserve soil yeah instead of this massive huge you know till method that we've you know poisoned our our soil with yeah um you know so there's a lot of different things you know happening there there's also some local uh resources like midwest environmental advocates um they're doing a lot um with water quality clean wisconsin Okay, uh, is another organization that I cite in in some of the uh, presentations that I give, there, and there's some good news. I mean, there are some farmers that are really open minded and looking at this and saying we can't keep going like this. Yeah, and and that doesn't mean they're an organic farmer. It just means like maybe they're growing cover crops. Yeah, so they're losing less topsoil. Maybe they're you know not using as much water. Maybe they're um, you know treating their animals well or feeding them real food, not yeah. skittles. Yeah, not Skittles. Maybe you know, letting
0: them outside every once in a while. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, check out the sun. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's kind of like a pendulum swing from the 26-story hog CAFO in China, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's why we need to be talking at 5 and 7 o'clock. We can't go on with this model you of the You can't have these two
0: extreme. You can't have the, you know, us paying maybe $50 for this super well grass-fed whatever animal and then these CAFOs in china that are skyscrapers that's crazy first off that that's a real thing Mm -hmm. um you can't have both those those extremes and think that they're gonna that this little farm is gonna you know offset that or vice versa you got to meet in the middle find some common ground
1: this is our water yeah it's not their water it's our water yeah and i i think we just have to that's the mindset you know again that water ethic yeah you know respect water don't expect it Mm-hmm. You know, just thinking differently. So the next time I, I see you, I'm just going to order a big fat cheeseburger yeah, with yeah, some yeah. mac and cheese, <laughs> That'd be hilarious. and I'm going to go into a food coma and yeah. pass out in the bathroom. Yes, yes, that would be that would be
0: phenomenal. <laughs> um well man i appreciate you coming on tom i appreciate you uh kind of laying all this stuff out here for us because i think uh people listening um i know our audience definitely skews a little younger crowd Mm -hmm. and i know there's there's definitely got to be some of these issues unless they're in school for those specific things that we don't know about Mm -hmm. and it's important to start figuring out this stuff and especially start having these conversations and like you said being aware of these things because then when it does come time to, you know, whether it is voting on officials or holding officials accountable, uh, maybe you might start seeing some things get done if we know what's going on. But we have to know what's going on first. So I think that's important. Absolutely. And I and I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, I also want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in live tonight, as well as those listening days after, uh, over on Spotify or here on YouTube. Um, I want to say a quick shout out to our patrons which should be up on the screen right now if you guys are interested in getting uh behind the scenes access to extra podcasts um extra videos and vlog footage as well as a series where i break down how i make mix and master every single one of my songs go to patreon.com slash darren rita you can support the channel for as little as a dollar um i also want to say a quick shout out to GoNuts for sponsoring this episode of the podcast this has been the uh 212th episode of the detox podcast